Okay. Hey guys. Uh, so this is a special uh, remote recorded, pre-recorded, very special coronavirus episode of Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, uh, your Sunday news hour, usually recorded live, but today we are airing an episode that we recorded on Friday uh, of this past week, which it was the 20th of March. So apologies for any variances in audio quality, and for this episode being a little different from how we normally shape our show, uh, but we had to try out some new ways of working this week and string together a few moving pieces. Uh, we're proud of this episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Um, Emily here. Jasmine's here. Teresa's here. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And, and, and Matthew is here as well over in Brooklyn. Hopefully the news won't have be, won't be incredibly outdated in the day and a half that will pass. I know things are moving pretty quickly these days, but, uh, yes. I mean, I think most of what we have isn't, isn't very number specific. It's more general stuff about how things are going, which is the good news, um, or the news. (laughs) All right. So let's dive in. We actually have a jam packed show. Um, so let's see our first story. So Sarah also did research for us. Um, our amazing Sarah Weck, who isn't joining us today for this, uh, this experimental episode, but, um, all right, here we go. Uh, COVID world response and future projections on the global economy. There's no doubt that COVID-19 has plunged the entire world into a state unrecognizable from just months ago. Projected impact on the global economy will be heavy with countries focusing more heavily on election topics like universal basic income and mandatory paid sick leave. Now that we have a heavier context with which to understand these issues, they are likely to come to the forefront. Mass consumption in general has made an impact on wildlife, allowing, quote, animal microbes such as SARS-CoV-2 to cross over into human bodies, causing epidemics. And that's from Politico. And with this understanding could come an increase in wildlife conservation in order to prevent microbes from leaving animal ecosystems. Todd N. Tucker, the Director of Governance Studies at the Roosevelt Institute, has predicted that the global economy will also see stronger domestic supply change as a result of the virus. Tucker states that, quote, while there's no indication that the coronavirus per se is being transmitted through commerce, one can imagine a perfect storm in which deep recessions plus mounting geopolitical tensions limit America's access to its normal supply chains and the lack of homegrown capacity in various product markets limits the government's ability to respond nimbly to threats. In other words, in the coming post-pandemic time period, we will potentially see a growing favor toward domestic market structure versus a dependence on the global supply system. This goes hand-in-hand with the environmental impact discussed earlier, making strong arguments for keeping markets closer to home. The World Health Organization has also been playing its part. Uh, Sarah's uncle works there in Thailand. Shout out to Uncle Phil. And they have launched a, quote, first of its kind fund to aid research and work that the WHO is doing to combat the epidemic. The fund allows private individuals, corporations, and any institution anywhere in the world to donate to the global response. In contrast to what we discussed earlier for a potential increase in domestic supply chains and the closing of borders, this type of effort erases borders and creates a global alliance. 
Sarah's personal take, it will be increasingly interesting in the months ahead to see the ways in which individual countries isolate themselves, potentially in favor of global cooperation. The way in which the virus is forcing us to act in support of a larger public good in order to save our own private selves will potentially have a lasting impact. In these times, projections of what will happen to the global economy can be alarming, but looking ahead, we see that growth and adaptation to a new global reality is possible. We can expect potential benefits and setbacks, as with anything, but there are ways in which we can prepare, and knowledge is power at the moment. And now here's Teresa with her piece. So my segment is called The New Normal, Social Distancing, and I drew this information from an article from the New York Times, the LA Times, and a website called uh, theoutline.com. We first began to hear the term social distancing about a week ago when President Trump reportedly insisted that the federal government had the coronavirus pandemic under, quote, tremendous control, end quote. Governors and mayors around the country began shutting down schools, restaurants, bars, and all public gathering spaces after the CDC issued guidance recommending against gatherings of 50 or more people for the next eight weeks. Concepts of social distancing, self-quarantine, and isolation come from a vocabulary that is predominantly used only by the infectious disease community, and to the everyday person may seem confusing and very scary. Uh, It leads our minds and our imagination towards spirals that challenge our very understanding of human rights and personal freedom. This has been a challenging week for many of us and left us feeling paranoid and fearful and that we're losing control of our lives and our reality. In an article for the LA Times, it was reported that a coronavirus misinformation post and hoax text message were making rounds last week, stirring uh, up recipients about the warnings of martial law being imminently imposed by President Trump, in which soldiers would be ordered to be keeping people in their homes. The White House National Security Council tweeted on Sunday, there's no national lockdown and referred people to consult the CDC website for more accurate information. So to provide a sense of understanding, I wanted to distinguish between the ramifications of each of these um, concepts that we've been experiencing this week so we can all gain a better understanding and help us to flatten the curve. So social distancing um, is ultimately about creating physical distance between people who live who don't live together. At the community level, it means closing schools and workplaces and canceling events. On an individual level, it means keeping six feet of distance between you and others while in public and avoiding physical contact with people who you do not share a home with. This means no dinner parties or play dates, and you can't even invite friends over. So sheltering in place, which is um, the protocol that has been adopted by most of the states in the U.S., refers to not leaving the house unless you absolutely have to. So you can't go to a friend's house for dinner or have anyone over. During sheltering in place order, you should limit your trips outside to no more than once a week if possible. And in most cases, it does allow you to watch, walk the dog or exercise outside as long as you remain six feet away from anyone else. So self-quarantining. Okay, this is a term that's used to separate and restrict movement of someone who is well, but who recently had close contact with a person who was later diagnosed with the virus. A person in self-quarantine should follow all the rules of sheltering in place, except they should avoid going to stores or interacting with the public on a limited basis for at least 14 days. 
So an official or mandatory quarantine. Now, this is a government-imposed lockdown on a community, which many people think is happening right now in New York. Uh, You heard Governor Cuomo the other day speaking, asking people, um, non-essentials, to stay home from work and things of that nature. So this has also happened in Italy. Um, It severely restricts movement of people. You can go out for essentials, but you can only do so under strictly controlled conditions or by specific schedules imposed by public safety officials. So this includes... Uh, curfews, uh, certain hours of the day when people are supposed to be active on the street. And then finally, martial law, which is what everybody is afraid of right now, uh, refers to a rarely used and legally contentious power written into the Constitution under which the military is given authority to enforce civil laws throughout the country or a particular region during emergency. Um, It's normally put in place when local courts and law enforcement are unable to do so. And during a period of martial law, uh, due process rights typically are given to criminal defendants, but other basic rights can be suspended. So this would be the situation where you could be arrested for being outside, um, which we have not seen yet. There are some videos uh, surfacing and I've seen some stuff online about this happening over in Europe in certain areas. But um, yeah, we haven't we haven't gotten to that point. Uh, With all the images of security forces we've seen patrolling the streets of Spain and Italy and the other hardest hit countries in Europe, only a handful of U.S. cities have actually gone into lockdown to combat the spread of coronavirus. Um, We've seen this happen in Hoboken, New Jersey. They now have a curfew. Um, And I do believe that Cuomo has issued a sheltering in place order in New York City, though he did say that he was not going to stop the train service. but non-essential employees are expected to stay home this week. So what's likely to happen is that local law enforcement will be called upon uh, by mayors and governors in a worst case scenario to do emergency management, which is like how they respond to natural disasters. Uh, For example, after Hurricane Sandy in 2012, NYPD officers manned checkpoints and patrolled lines for gas and goods in order to keep the peace. The National Guard has already been deployed. Uh, There's been at least 650 personnel in 15 states to support the federal government um, because in what is considered now a public health emergency. Uh, We've also seen them in New Rochelle, which was the country's first designated contaminant zone, uh, helping to distribute groceries, clean public areas, assist drive-through testing facilities, and providing support to healthcare professionals in transportation and collecting and delivering samples. So as of now, no legally mandated quarantine has been issued in the U.S. And as we continue in this new normal of social distancing, we must stay calm and operate in a way that respects and promotes the safety of all of our fellow Americans. Yeah, that that was really great. Um, I think I heard Cuomo say something that he doesn't want uh, to do shelter in place um, because it makes people kind of freak out. Is, is that the kind of the context that you got? Because shelter in place almost sounds kind of gentle to me, but he was saying yeah, some mean, people would be freaked out. When I first heard about it, I thought that he was just trying to, you know, give us better terminology so people didn't feel, um, you know, so stuck in place. But honestly, I think there was a little bit of discrepancy between what Cuomo and de Blasio was saying this week in regards to the shelter in place order that's been placed. Today, um, I'm not quite sure I have to go through and decipher everything that was said, but there was some mention of shutting down of transit coming up next week, uh, which could be really detrimental for New Yorkers um, who are still having to go to work. 
So I think over the next two days, we should watch, um, you know, what these alerts are, because that's really going to change the dynamic for New York City. If people can't get on public transit for whatever purposes, um, then we'll really see what shelter in place feels like. Yeah. You know, that'd be terrifying to um, I can't, I can't imagine the subway shutting down. <laughs> So let's take a break with some music before we jump into more stories in our special coronavirus edition of Objection to the Rule. Uh, this is Kendrick Lamar. All right. We'll be right back. All's my life I has to fight, nigga. All's my life I. Hard times like yeah. Bad trips like yeah. Nazareth, I'm fucked up, homie, you fucked up But if God got us, then we gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright We gon' be alright Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright Huh? We gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' be alright Uh, and when I wake up I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut Bahamas, I be looking at you from the face down One Mac 11 even boom with the bass down Skimming, and let me tell you about my life Painkillers only put me in a twilight With pretty pussy and Benjamin is the highlight Now tell my mama I love her, but this what I like Lord knows, 20 of them in my Chevy Tell them all to come and get me, reaping everything I sow So my karma come in heaven, no preliminary hearings On my record, I'm a motherfucking gangsta in silence for the record uh. Tell the world I know it's too late Boys and girls, I think I've gone crazy Trying to side my faces all day Won't you please believe when I say When you know we've been hurt, been down before Nigga, when our pride was low Looking at the world like where do we go Nigga, and we hate poor poor Wanna kill us dead in the street for sure Nigga, I'm at the preacher's door My knees getting weak and my gun might blow But we gon' be alright all right. Nigga, we gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright We gon' be alright Do you hear me? Do you feel me? Motherfucker, you can live at the mall I can see the evil, I can tell it I know it's illegal, I don't think about it I deposit every other zero Thinking of my partner, put the candy painted on a Rico Digging in my pocket, ain't a profit Big enough to feed you every day my logic Get another dollar just to keep you in the presence of your Chico ah! I don't talk about it, be about it Every day I seek you If I got it, then you know you got it Heaven, I can reach you Pet dog, pet dog, pet dog, my dog, that's all Big back and chat, I trapped the back for y'all I rap, I black on tracks, so rest assured My rights, my wrongs, I write till I'm right with God When you know We've been hurt, been down before Nigga, when our pride was low Looking at the world like, where do we go? Nigga, and we hate poor poor Wanna kill us dead in the street for sure Nigga, I'm at the preacher's door My knees getting weak and my gun might blow But we gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright We gon' be alright Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We gon' be alright Nigga, we gon' be alright I remember you was conflicted, misusing your influence. Sometimes I did the same, abusing my power full of resentment, resentment that turned into a deep depression. 
Found myself screaming in the hotel room. I didn't want to self-destruct. The evils of Lucy was all around me. So I went running for answers. Welcome back. You are listening to a special pre-recorded, remotely recorded coronavirus episode of Objection to the Rule, your Sunday news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. Still working to bring you fresh content in these wild times. Uh, That was Kendrick Lamar's All Right. Before we move forward, I just wanted to note one more time that there may be some inconsistencies on audio quality on this episode. So we sort of scrambled to make the show happen this week, and we thank you for your patience. Hello, this is Jasmine and also my cat, Dre, coming to you from my apartment in Brooklyn. I am not in the studio. Um, We're not recording in the studio because of the threat of spreading and contracting the coronavirus that leads to COVID-19. I hope that everybody that's listening is staying safe, staying at home, if at all possible. And if it's not possible because you're doing something essential, thank you for your service and please stay safe. Um, So for my two stories, I have both are sort of national, international and local, like they impact all three um, as the virus is. So the first issue that I wanted to inform you all about is U.S. universities closing campuses around the country and trying to do so quickly. So the name of this article is COVID-19 U.S. University Scramble to Arrange Campus Closures by Callan Quinn. And this article was written for um, PI News, The PI News, and PI stands for Professionals in International Education. So as some of you may be aware, universities across the country have been closing, scaling back operations, and trying to send as many students back home as soon as possible. Harvard University asked all students to move out of dorms by 5 p.m. on March 15th and was one of the first universities to do so. Students who couldn't leave were allowed to petition to stay. Some students criticized the university for not giving them enough time to adjust and to move and make all the necessary changes. International students reported having to book flights to neighboring countries and then find overland routes to their home countries. Universities are also trying to offer students financial support for their transportation costs. At Princeton University, Deputy University spokesperson Michael Hotchkiss told the PI that it had laid out criteria for students who wished to remain on campus that gave priority to certain categories of students, such as those who need to do lab research. For international students, the criteria for them to be able to stay also included those who were subject to travel restrictions, those who come from countries with warning levels two and three and U.S. Department of State levels three and four for COVID-19, those whose homes are in an area with extremely limited internet activity, among others. Jacob Chang, who's vice president of Ohio State University's International Student Council, told local press regarding trying to study remotely from China that they won't be able to access Google, we won't be able to access Gmail, our US phone number won't work, so there's a chance we won't be able to get Duo Mobile, 
which is the, su- the service that's used to log into Ohio State accounts. Attending live lectures online will mean studying in the early hours of the morning in some of the international students' time zones. Censorship will also prevent them from accessing certain topics. So there's many different challenges that deciding on a dime to change all of your operations to online present um, parts that are particular to international students, but they also impact a lot of students that um, are domestic as well. A few of the strategies suggested to alleviate the stress for students and faculty include changing grading options to pass-fail for the whole semester, reweighting midterm exams, and other adjustments. So this this was not um, in Callan's article. These were just some of my thoughts that um, not only for international students, but for students that are from the U.S. as well. Going home, especially on on short notice, might be more dangerous as students may infect their loved ones where they live and other people en route to wherever home is. So, you know, having like a mass exodus of students going from being all in one place to now they're all separately traveling, taking planes, trains, cars, buses, whatever to get back home. Like that's a lot of different contact points where you could be infecting other people. Also, not all college students have a safe home to go back to. Um, They might be in college and college is an escape for them. Like they might be from an abusive household. They might be, you know, expected to do the bulk of the caregiving, like where they're at home. They might not be supported by their family. So um, it's not a given that going back home is necessarily comfortable, safe, or good for the student's mental well-being. Also, assuming that everyone will have the means to do online classes, like that every student has a laptop and internet connection and the space and the time that they need to focus on schoolwork actually leaves out a lot of disadvantaged students. Um, There's often, in my experience, a tendency to assume that being college educated or being in a college classroom automatically means that you come from money or that you have, I don't know, like an easy life. But in the same class, like you could have someone that, you know, their family is paying the full sticker price for that college education for you. You could have someone that has a scholarship because they come from poverty. You could have someone that has a mixture of loans or they're in a lot of debt trying to pay for that. So when everyone's in college all at the same time and you do have community resources, you do have a library that you can go to to borrow a laptop. You do have common areas where you can sleep if you don't maybe have a secure place to sleep. You do have places where you can use the campus Wi-Fi once all of those spaces and resources are shut down and everyone is sent back to their own devices, I think that it shows, you know, not everyone that you may assume is on the same page or has the same tools necessarily has them. So time is going to tell like how many students are actually able to remain enrolled and doing well in college and how many people are going to be essentially forced to drop out by this move. Um, Here in New York State, Governor Cuomo has said that SUNY and CUNY dorms will be potential spaces for hospital beds. 
Um, and I believe that this also expands to other university dorm spaces outside of the SUNY and CUNY system. Um, there's already been multiple members of several New York City University communities that have tested positive for COVID-19. And um, as we know, we're not testing nearly as many people every day as they are in other countries. So the numbers that we're seeing now are really just a fraction of the people that are actually affected, not to mention those who might be, you know, asymptomatic, don't feel bad at all. They're not going anywhere where they might even potentially be tested. So, yeah, like I... I feel like the story with the universities closing, everyone scrambling to do online classes, dorms being used for hospital space. I think it's one of the things that is showing up a lot of the inequalities and inadequacies that have always existed within our system, but things are just in very, very sharp relief right now. Um, so I'm moving from an academic story to something that's a little more general. And unfortunately, it's not limited to just one type of arena. It's something that we're seeing a rise in across the board. So this story comes from CNN. It's actually, the article was written in late February, on February the 20th, by Holly Yan, Natasha Chen, and Dushyant Naresh, D-U-S-H-Y-A-N-T. I'm sorry if I mispronounced the first name. So they wrote about what's spreading faster than coronavirus in the U.S., racist assaults and ignorant attacks against Asians. So ever since coronavirus first became a news headline across the world, xenophobia against Asian people has been on the rise. This has included people yelling insults at strangers, hitting them. And before we've started to see the statewide and citywide shutdowns of non-essential businesses, people refusing to buy from Asian businesses and refusing to serve Asian patrons. Tani Jira Prapasuke of Los Angeles was on the train when a passenger started claiming Chinese people were putrid and responsible for all diseases. And um, Tani herself is not actually of Chinese descent. She's Thai. But she recorded the man as he went on a long tirade. And after recording the incident on the subway, she went online and found many other people of Asian descent have also been harassed or attacked. Here in New York at what appears to be Union Square, a woman wearing a face mask at a New York subway station was assaulted by a stranger on February the 2nd. A witness who a witness said she heard a man call the woman uh, who was Asian a diseased bitch. The victim responded, yeah, yeah, go away. So she was trying to defend herself and stand up for herself. And as the bystander got her phone out when she saw the interaction, the man hit the woman on the head and the victim then chased after the man who turned around and attacked her. So these were both things that happened last month, but unfortunately this has been continuing, particularly here in New York. Or actually, I shouldn't say particularly because we know it's happening everywhere, but I mean more so as far as things that I'm more aware of because they happen close to where I live. 
So near February, uh, near Union Square in mid-February, sorry, a young woman of East Asian descent was attacked and called slurs on the street. And just last week in mid-March, a 23-year-old Asian woman was punched in the face near 34th Street and called names. And these things, um, it's important not to ignore, not just the fact that this disease was initially caught in China, or so far people seem to think that it originated in a certain part of China, but in addition to that, we're also in a climate in which the president and other people insist on calling it the Chinese virus and deliberately stoking racist and xenophobic sentiment across the country. So when you have people in high places that are promoting this type of thinking, there's a lot of people who basically have just been waiting for an excuse to let these feelings come out in the open and to attack people, you know, regardless of any kind of actual fear or concern for safety. It's just a lot of pure hatred and ignorance just waiting to come out. Um, I would also like to note how many crucial steps several Asian countries have been taking to control the spread of the virus and actually help people in their prospective countries. So we've seen in South Korea, in China, in Vietnam, and in other places in the Far East that there's been a consistent effort to try to test as many people as possible to consistently clean and sanitize the streets to deliver food to citizens who are unable to leave. Um, Individuals who have tested positive have been, instead of being told to stay home with their families where you're going to infect the rest of your family, they've been taken out and put into specialized centers where they can be cared for and not put the rest of their family at risk. And in contrast, what we see here in the U.S. is a lot of people are just extremely ill-informed, and in most cases, they're being misinformed deliberately. And we are really only at the beginning of trying to even tackle what's happening in this country right now. We're extremely behind when it comes to testing and treating people. So, you know, it, it really doesn't, If anything, it would make a lot more sense for people that are in Asian countries to be afraid of being infected by someone from here, considering how there's been such a lack of top-down leadership on controlling the epidemic. Um, Italy is also currently a hotspot of COVID-19 infections. And, you know, I've been seeing a lot of news reports about their healthcare infrastructure essentially crumbling under the weight of how many people are sick. And there's also been several outbreaks in other smaller nations that have been tied to Italian and other European tourists coming and, you know, being perhaps asymptomatic or not that sick, but then spreading it to people around them. But we really have yet to see, not that we would want to see it, I wouldn't want to see it, but we don't see people going out of their way to attack, criticize, and judge Italian people or people of Italian descent here, even though, you know, they're one of the people, one of the places dealing with one of the worst outbreaks happening right now. So I know that none of us are perfect. And unfortunately, a lot of these, um, 
these reactions to lump everyone together are way more common than they should be, but I just want everyone to take a moment to stop and think and just do better, you know, do more research, be more empathetic, don't be so quick to buy into narratives that are designed to make you afraid of your neighbor because they happen to look different from you, because that's never led to anything good in the history of human life. So on that note, this is me signing off, me and my cat Dre. And now for a musical break with In Between Days by The Cure, a song I, Emily, picked out because maybe the days in your living room are starting to all bleed together for you like they are for me. Uh, We're in this together, y'all. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was In Between Days by The Cure. Now here's Matt with some more stories on the coronavirus and various issues related to it. 
All right, uh, let's continue on. I have a piece about uh, working in labor. Uh, <laughs> Emily titled this for me, uh, Working in the Age of Coronavirus. One full title, Emily. Thank you very much. Uh, the reporting is from uh, two different uh, New York Times articles. Disasters do a great job at showing us who we are. Turns out we're pretty good, though there have been xenophobic attacks on Asians and Asian Americans, like we just talked about. And there have been a few ugly panic-driven events like a riot in Ukraine that occurred after citizens of a small town heard that a handful of people with the virus were coming to their town. Generally, people have been nice. Well, should I also forget about dumb videos of people fighting over toilet paper? Side note, I have a bidet. It's great. My butt is clean. Everyone should get a bidet. But <laughs> most of the world is pretty earnest in trying to help protect each other from a virus that could hurt our most vulnerable friends and family. Of course, if things get bad, who knows? But as of now, I generally believe what Rebecca Solnit summarizes in her book, A Paradise Built in Hell, The Extraordinary Communities That Arise in Disaster. Her thesis, people aren't Hobbesian monsters that turn into beasts when order is lost or disaster occurs. Quite the opposite, people become... Uh, quite caring for each other. Her book focuses on Hurricane Katrina, I, uh, if I remember. So perhaps we have a species aren't that awful, but this crisis has shown that our economy and our society is. Instant layoffs show that a shocking amount of businesses are barely uh, hanging on, and many of those who keep their jobs have to face a public before we, we have wild available testing for the virus. Asymptomatic customers unwillingly could be getting those workers sick and those workers could be getting their elders sick. Or because the retirement age keeps climbing, perhaps they themselves are the elder. Many people feel pressured to work, but the pressure goes both ways. Quote, store, store employees understood the corporate staff of J. Crew and Madewell to be working from home by the end of the week last week, increasing the tension. The situation boiled over on Instagram where employees and customers berated Madewell. Selling jeans is not worth putting lives at risk, one user wrote. J. Crew and Madewell announced on Monday that they would be closed through March 27th. End quote. There have been other worker-led revolts, maybe revolts is a bit too strong of a work word, but pushback. Macy's stayed open until workers and the public criticized them online. Starbucks employees have felt pressure to work and took the, to the digital streets to complain. One em employee, Anaya Johnson, began a petition through the website coworker.org urging Starbucks to suspend business during the pandemic while continuing to pay employees. The petition has so far received more than 15,000 signatures. End quote. Lucas Rychenek had a tweet that sums up the point I'm trying to make with this recap. The tweet is, quote, Funny how all the consumers and workers staying home brings the economy to its knees and all the job creators aren't keeping things running with their amazing bootstraps. Almost as if the people at the bottom, almost as if it's the people at the bottom who create wealth, end quote. In this crisis, we are motivated to organize to avoid something bad. After all, 
And so after all of this, let's organize to create something good. Yeah, I, I do think that the, the shared mission of just not getting sick <laughs> has really shown that when people do act together, even if it is just um, some people are refusing to go to work, uh, many people are, are demanding uh, paid sick leave, when people actually do things in a coordinated effect or manner, the, the effects are fairly um, undeniable. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll plow ahead. I have uh, one more article on rent uh, and rent moratoriums. I, I was going to do a piece based off a, a Times article and a six-square-foot article, but it ended up being a, more of an essay that I went to Reddit and asked some people. So it, it ends up getting kind of uh, kind of fun or insane. So there's talk about a suspension on mortgages and rent to lessen the economic recession resulting from the novel coronavirus. Currently, U.S. regulators have ordered a hold on foreclosures and evictions, and there's been talk on multiple levels of government about halting rent and mortgages. We'll see if that happens. But it got me thinking, why not do this anyway? Why do we pay rent? Dumb question, I know. We pay rent because someone else who owns the apartment has to pay their mortgage and they pay their mortgage because they need to pay the bank back for lending them money to buy a house that won't ever actually be paid off because the property itself can be used as equity. So once the value goes high enough, the owner will sell the house to someone else who will have to start paying the mortgages. And in order to do that, they will have renters and some of those renters in order to pay rent will work at a bank as perhaps a teller selling Upselling their upselling clients because the bank doesn't make enough money just by holding your money. They have to make money offering financial services, which aren't real services, but ways to help you spend your money. Money which doesn't actually exist because if it did when you paid your rent, it would result in someone a bit more something a bit more ethereal than the privilege to exist in a tiny room that costs twelve hundred dollars a month. And even in Brooklyn, that can be considered a deal. So anyway, for more research, I went to Reddit and asked some people what would happen if we didn't pay rent. Here, was, here are some of the responses. There were the classic non-Western, uh, quote-unquote non-Western examples of land ownership. One person wrote, in Panama, the, the Kunu Indigenous Society owns land collectively. Individuals or companies of individuals apply for the use of parcels of the Congreso, of rulers, none of the deeds carry rent costs. Companies, which is a group of people, make a profit on their sales to cover the cost of building and maintain their store. It seems to work out pretty well. I don't know if they even have local banks. I had a back and forth with someone who was uh, quite a bit more passionate, shall we say. He answered my question, why pay rent? Your ass better get ready to start practicing serfdom. I think it'd rape the economy outright and cause a civil war. You think capitalism is unfair? Try no land ownership, or better yet, move to post-communist shitholes. It is the best we've got. Meanwhile, your Neanderthal ancestor legit died at age 34 and was eaten by lions, raped by humans, starved, or died in wars. In which I answered uh, that response with, what prehistorical world war do you think happened? 
Was there a Neanderthal slash human war where humans rode into battle on lions and the humans were like, wait, friendly battle felines, I'm going to rape this subspecies first and then you get to eat it. He didn't think that was very funny. There were some... Uh, (laughs) Oh, Jesus. He he went on to yell at me some more about how um, capitalism is the, the best thing we have and that I need to shut up. But then there was also thoughtful answers. Uh, one person wrote, "The bigger question is rather, the bigger question question is rather, what would happen if central banks didn't exist? Well, quote unquote, wealth wouldn't be as concentrated as it currently is. The major social economic problems we currently face wouldn't be as amplified. I doubt countries as they exist today would last long, and that includes the governments that control those countries." And then there was one that was both capitalistic and kind of weirdly optimistic in kind of a depressing way. This person wrote, In my humble opinion, investors would find other places to invest money if for some reason housing wasn't an option. could be anything. And I'm sure some creative people would come up with things we can't even think of yet. Yeah. And I have more comments on Reddit uh, about um, mostly people just called me a communist and said I was Stalin for <laughs> trying to think of a different way of structuring property or just paying for property. But other people just kind of said everything's too connected to the banks and so we can't get away from uh, having property be connected to equity. Yeah, and like in in New York City, especially, we're extremely rent burdened. I think we're one of the places where people, the highest percentage of people's monthly income goes just to shelter. So having that is a that's a huge weight on your shoulders. I think they say you you shouldn't be spending more than a quarter of what you earn in a month on rent or like how how. But for most people that live in New York, it's way above a quarter. It's more like a third or almost half. So, yeah, yeah like, as you add in other costs and, you know, any little thing happens and you could find yourself out on the street. We're all very fragile right now. We are all very fragile right now. We really are, Teresa. Uh Thank you to Matt for that research and also for his work at helping this episode come together this week in a technical sense. Um, And of course, while I'm saying it, thanks to Jasmine and Teresa for their hard work too, and for Sarah for contributing as well. Uh, The show really takes a full team to put together. Um, Really, really grateful to have so many uh, wonderful people to work with on it. We're going to take a quick musical break with the song On the Rebound by Floyd Kramer. Something a little happier for these crazy days. And we'll be right back with some good news. Hang tight.
And finally, a little bit of good news on all of this. Uh, this is Emily here uh, presenting this research. So the coronavirus is spooky as shit, and there's no way of getting around that. It's touched all of our lives by this point, and while I personally find it sort of exhilarating that it's of such vital and local and national importance that I stay the fuck on my couch for the foreseeable future, I'm also anxious about the health and safety of my loved ones and, honestly, of myself. So in these trying times, here's a little bit of good news to help lift us all up a little bit. Uh, One, the coronavirus death rate in Wuhan, China, is lower than previously thought. Early estimates put uh, the virus at somewhere between a 2 and 3.4% death rate, but researchers have now found the likelihood of dying from the virus in Wuhan is 1.4%, or, to put it another way, that almost 99% of those infected will recover, and some don't even have symptoms at all. Granted, this is still much higher than the 0.1% death rate of the flu, for comparison, and the fatality rate varies by age group and health status, but this is also still a very good thing. Experts are even hoping that this, quote, symptomatic case fatality rate, as it's called, could be lower in the U.S. if all the work at social distancing is effective. Uh, Second piece of good news is children are least affected by coronavirus. While they can get sick, there is essentially a 0% fatality rate for those age 9 and under, which is awesome. Uh, Three, our ability to deal with future, potentially worse diseases and disasters should improve, hopefully. Um, I don't really have data to back this up, but it's, you know, if we learn from this, um, and hopefully we will, we can be better prepared in the future. Uh, Four, On Thursday of this past week, uh, so yesterday from the date of recording this, uh, China reported no new local infections. All the infections reported were from travelers from elsewhere. And while there are concerns that new cases will surge as virus response restrictions loosen, this is still a good thing and shows how it is possible to combat this thing and do it relatively quickly. Uh, and now, finally, for some truly incredible news, uh, the world is the world essentially shutting down has been very, very good for the environment. Um, so pollution is clearing over China. Uh, this is from CNN, quote, according to China's Ministry of Ecology and Environment, the average number of what are called good quality air days increased 21.5% in February compared to the same period last year in Hubei province, the epicenter of the global coronavirus pandemic, end quote. The change is so dramatic that NASA satellite images are even showing the change in nitrogen dioxide levels. Uh, Fei Liu, an air quality researcher for NASA, said, quote, This is the first time I have seen such a dramatic drop-off over such a wide area for a specific event, end quote. Carbon dioxide emissions were down at least 25%, which in China might be the equivalent of around 200 million tons. In fact, one Stanford University researcher estimates that the reduction in air pollution itself may have saved between 50,000 and 75,000 people from dying prematurely. The researcher, Marshall Burke, said, quote, Does this mean pandemics are good for health? No. Instead, it means that the way our economies operate absent pandemics has massive hidden health costs, and it takes a pandemic to help see that. End quote. Uh, next piece of good news is that pollution is clearing in other places too. Carbon monoxide emissions have fallen about 50% in New York City, 
and there has been a drop in CO2 levels uh, by between 5 and 10%, plus a noticeable drop in methane, too. Professor Rosin Comane of Columbia University, who monitors air in New York, said New York has had exceptionally high carbon monoxide numbers for the last year and a half, and this is the cleanest I have ever seen it. It's less than half of what we normally see in March. Uh, so this is happening around the world, too. In Bucharest, Romania, um, the city's reporting some of their cleanest air levels since the beginning of their air quality monitoring network. And uh, last but not least, <laughs> there are dolphins in Venice, which is wild. Um, while the situation in Italian hospitals is frightening and dire right now, and I'm not trying to underplay that in any, any way, um, the canals of Venice are the clearest that they've been in a very long, long time. Uh, while clarity isn't necessarily a sign of cleanliness, uh, but more of a lack of activity kicking up sediment, it's still a beautiful sight. And there have been reports of dolphins and swans and Italian waterways and, waterways, and that is pretty wild. Some are concerned that the efforts to restart the world economy will push climate-related decisions to the side, leaving us potentially worse off in that sector than before, despite all of these really incredible things that we're seeing in a very short period of time. Uh, but we can all use our voices and our votes to continue to push for a cleaner and greener future. As Christopher Jones of the Cool Climate Network at UC Berkeley says, quote, if we can think about how to prepare for climate change like a pandemic, uh, maybe there will be a positive outcome to all of this. We can help prevent future crises in we can help prevent crises in the future if we are prepared. I think there are some big picture lessons here that could be very useful, end quote. So yeah, so to recap, um, there's nothing good about the numbers of people we're seeing dying and the craziness going on in Italy right now um, at all and, and what happened in China and, of course, Spain and Europe and everywhere. And, you know, our hospital workers are, are in dire straits right now. Um, but there are some good news things related. They're still good in the world. Um, and there's some crazy side effects of this that I, I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. Um, so just something to keep in mind, something to hopefully maybe help you get through, you know, <laughs> the next few weeks <laughs> of whatever comes next. Um, you've been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Please continue to listen. And if you care to, if you can support our radio station, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and click on the, denote, the donate button. Um, we're coming up on our fifth year anniversary and we are able to stay on the air because of loyal listeners like you. So take care, everybody. Try to stay calm. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye. So we're going to play you out on some music. Uh, this is The Art of Storytelling Part 2 by Outcast, which is Jasmine's favorite song about the apocalypse. Uh, have a great week, everyone. And wash your hands. Yeah, 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 yeah.
The sky is falling, nobody balling. They done gave back their guns for some tickets to the playoffs, but the horn is day one. Nigga, we slum, kept all the guns. I gotta protect my family. I drove the biggest thing in the house, cause I knew they tried to ram me, but I'm stabbing. Making a path on the expressway, the best way I know how. Up in the sky, east, west, no clouds, I'm coming now. Fuck that money now. I asked my honey how she feeling. It is Jordan, okay? Yeah, yeah, she chilling. We should be in the dungeon shortly. Ain't nobody on their porch seat. Approaching the final exit. I'm thinking I see four horses, but I don't know. Nigga, you won't know until it's on ya. I put that on my doorway from H-Town to California. All the weed smell like ammonia, but at the dungeon I know they're smoking. Writing the raps and doing the beats to make the slash recording. Fuck abortion. I got in the booth to run the final portion. The beat was very dirty and the vocals had this store. Shine, 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 shine. 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 Shine.